Hello and welcome, lovely listeners, to the Happily Ever Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Tadero, and I'm thrilled to have you with me here today. Whether you're a first-time investor, a seasoned pro, or somewhere in between, you're in the right place. So buckle up and let's dive into the fascinating world of real estate. And we are back. Hello, 2024. Back from holidays, back from Florida. Although Florida was a bit cooler, wasn't the normal, traditional Florida. It was uh, a lot colder. In fact, it actually, for the first time, and I've been going there for many years, New Year's Eve, January 30, uh, sorry, December 31st, it was like 10 degrees at midnight and I was freezing. We had jackets and hat and winter gear on, uh, but the daytime highs were around 20 um, for those colder days and then it kind of warmed up after but uh needless to say it was uh still a great holiday better than being here in this kind of in between period between uh, winter and fall because it was you know i, I had uh, friends that were showing me pictures that it was there was mud on the ground it was mud season you know it wasn't winter it wasn't exactly fall it was just mud and rain and, and crap outside so uh so anyway it was a great trip glad to be back but I think everywhere down south, this holiday season wasn't the best. I think it was cold. Or, or I have a friend who went to uh, Jamaica. He said it was cold for a couple of days, rainy. But um, obviously, the further south you go, the better weather you're going to have. But um, I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed with the weather this time around. But that's just how it goes. And it is what it is. And uh, hope for a better time next time. While I was away... I was looking at vacation properties, as I like to do when I am on vacation anywhere uh, outside of Toronto, Canada. Even when I'm in Canada traveling, I like to look at the local real estate, local real estate market. I usually meet up with an agent to go through the market with them, get some stats, stuff like that, just to see what's going on, keep myself informed. I'm just like a, a real estate geek, if you will, on that front. So I just like to load, uh, know, know about local markets and, and what's going on there. So so when I was in Florida, I was in Fort Lauderdale. And so the local market there is is different. It's vastly different than uh, how we do business here in, in Toronto, in Canada. The buying process is different. The due diligence piece is different. The insurance requirements are different. Um, financing is is obviously different. And they make it easy for you to, you know, back out of a deal if you're a buyer. Um, and it's it's very easy for deals to fall apart. There's so many contingencies that they, um, or, or what we here call conditions that they put into the offers that, you know, it could drag on for a month, two months. And then at the day of closing, it just falls apart because something doesn't align and, and something doesn't come through. So um, vastly different. You, you, you know, if you wanted to buy a piece of property here in Toronto, for example, and it's a simple condo, you could probably close that in two weeks. I've closed properties in two weeks. I actually closed one property in 10 days, you know, so, so it is, you know, very different when, you know, no, no subjects, no conditions. We just kind of went in, bought it. We knew we wanted it. Um, and we closed in 10 days. So, but in the States or in Fort Lauderdale specifically, that's, um, you know, you have to have a mandatory inspection, and then there's insurance um, conditions that you have to fulfill and financing. Like this is the the interesting part I found was that some insurance companies will only accept cash buyers. So oftentimes I, I look at listings that say cash buyer only. And I was always wondering why is that? 
the case. But the case, the reason it is, is because you need to uh, fulfill the insurance requirement, and by doing that, you ha- like they they purchase with cash to get that insurance premium, and you, as the buyer, have to have a full cash offer, uh, so no financing is permitted. So that's something I found very very interesting. So it's not as simple, you know, they don't make it as simple there as it is here. There are no quick closings, that's for sure. So uh, enough about that. What else is going on? Um, so we're back in the swing of things this week, and I found it. Uh, curious that, you know, I have a few places listed. I actually delisted a few properties before the Christmas break. It's funny that I'm getting calls on those delisted properties from agents who obviously circled it on their list for their clients or their clients, you know, told them uh, that they were interested in it. And then when I pulled it off the market, I started getting calls. Interestingly enough, I've, I've had this happen to me in the past, but you know, usually around the holiday season, things are, are sort of depressed and slow. But um, it's funny that as soon as January 1st turned over and a new year turned over, 2024, there was some renewed optimism amongst some, not all, but the people that had intentions to buy something this year, I think are starting to wake up and they're starting to make inquiries. And as I said, I got two calls on those properties. And um, so anyway, I'm going to be relisting the property and and we'll see if a deal happens. I I think they'll sell quickly, um, relatively quickly in this market. But, um, you know, I I, I do see the renewed optimism and and, and the pointed questions. So so that's great. They're both commercial properties and I'm, um, you know, happy to... uh, to hopefully work on those. But but uh, the flip side is my lease listing. So I have three lease listings currently and I'm getting very, very few showings, if any at all, probably one a week. And the quality of the candidate who would like to rent these properties is, I don't know how to say it, it's atrocious. And as one of my clients who has this property for rent, he he says to me, Mark, these people that you're bringing me, and these are his words, they're broken. And I said to him, I said, what, is, what does that mean? You know, explain what does that mean? He says, well, they're broken. They're either, you know, their applications, first of all, it's not up to snuff. And either their credit is low or their job is like a cash job. You know, they can't provide proof of, you know, income you know, either they smoke or they have pets or there's like nine people living with them. You know, they're applying for like a three bedroom house. Um, no Canadian work experience or they're either they're new immigrants to Canada. And so um, they're not clean. Like the offers that I'm getting, they're not clean offers as I used to get in the past. And this is, I guess, you know, this is the new reality here in Canada. And I told him also, it's it's virtue of where you are situated in the city. So his property is uh, in North York, but in a uh, older um, West End type of area. Candidates that he's getting are blue collar working type class people. But I said to him, I've been encouraging him. I said, look, I have many clients who have downtown properties and they are they don't have these issues. And I think the higher end properties that you know you you go into and, and look I'm not saying that it's impossible to have issues with higher end clientele but by and large I see less issues with the downtown properties with the you know the candidates that I got coming in like you know I 
for example, I rented two places um, in the fall. One is to a single female uh, who works at a tech company, earns about $200,000 a year, great credit score of like, I think it was like 900 or close to 900. It was like impeccable. And it was for like a one bedroom and then a condo was $3,000, no problem to make the payment. She proved all of her... um, her uh, papers were all in order and we did that deal. She's been there now and the client is happier um, as ever. So there's that client. And then I had another one, again, 3000 it was $2,900 for a one bedroom and den. Lawyer, female, you know, young professional, earned about $130,000 a year. Again, verifiable. Again, no problem paying. This is what you want. These are the types of clients and renters that you want. You don't want, and what he is getting right now is broken people is what he likes to call them. You know, the applications, again, income of $17 an hour, and I have no no disrespect to that person, but $17 an hour, you can't afford a $4,500 house. Just, it's plain and simple. The math doesn't work. So, you know, and, and again, you know, unverifiable income, cash money, you know, th- this is a big investment for my client and he doesn't just want anyone renting from him. It's a partnership, right? And I told him that. I said, you know, you, you might as well be patient with it because if you get the wrong tenant in here and he's been burned in the past. And so he's, you know, I, I encourage him. I said, take your time with it. It's better to lose a month of rent and get the right tenant in there than to rush into something and then have issues down the road that you are going to have trouble correcting because the landlord tenant board is definitely in favor of the tenant. So, so be cautious and be careful. But I told him it's virtue of where you are in the city. So <laughs> he may decide to sell that property and reinvest that money into the downtown core so he can get a better tenant, less headaches, uh, and have a better, easier life and time with it. So uh, so he, he wants to tap into basically the AAA tenants. And I told him the only way to do that is to tap into the AAA locations. So you get what you pay for. So if you buy a prime property mid town, you're going to have young professionals who work downtown, taking the subway up and down. You know, you're going to pay a premium for the property. You probably pay, you know, two million, two and a half million dollars for the house, but the rent is going to cover it. And and more importantly, you're not going to have issues with the tenants, right? The quality of the tenant is going to be much, much higher. But as an investor, you want your money and your investment protected. And only way to do that is to um, invest in prime properties, highly desirable areas. And so um, that's how you mitigate any damages to your property, uh, loss of in- loss of income from, from the property. Um, you need to invest in higher quality assets, period. So also while I was away and coming into this week, I had uh, some inquiries from my buyer clients. Funny enough, so my syndicate of investors that I've had for many years have been on the sidelines for the last year and a half, uh, almost uh, two years. But I had two of them reach out and said, look, um, what do you think of this property? What do you think of that property? And so they are now definitely interested in, in moving forward on something. I'm starting to show them some property. So, so that, 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 I told, you know, that piece is coming back, that, that investment investor piece. I think 2024, the investors are going to start coming back dipping their toes in and looking at different opportunities so that they can start buying again. As I said in the previous podcast, this is not natural for developers, for investment 
minds in, for, for uh, real estate investors, sitting on the sidelines is not fun. It's not something that we like to do and we like to be active. So I think they've waited out the rough period. I think we're over it now. And I think 2024, they're going to start to, um, and adding to their portfolios. I'd be very surprised if 2024 passed and not one of my investor clients had bought anything. I think they're going to dip their toes and start buying again. Uh, with the help of me guiding them through um, on on every decision, so um, and possibly even investing, so uh, with them, so uh, all exciting uh, things t- uh, happening there. But even the first time, I have uh, two first time buyer clients that are um, looking at properties again, and I think you know they we had a conversation. They basically said, you know, we're tired of waiting. We're we're getting married. One one of the couples is getting married, and so they have to start their life. And again. I talked about this before. People have life situations and life situations will uh, always keep the market moving. Death, you know, divorce, um, marriage, kids, uh, re- uh, you know, relocation for work, you know. So so these are things that keep the market moving. There's always going to be transactions. You know, some years are going to be higher, some years are going to be lower, but there's always going to be transactions. So, um, so that's a good thing. And I expect it to be busier this year. 2024, I expected more transactions and, and I'm going to hold myself to that. So we had 65,000 transactions in 2023 or just, just above that number. Um, I think we'll definitely have more than that this year. So this brings us to our FAQ part of the show, or as, as we affectionately like to refer to it as the FAQ part of the show, where we answer questions surrounding the topic of discussion or any topics that people want to know about. So... First question is, will rental prices go down in 2024 in the GTA? I believe that they will plateau. The hyper acceleration of rental prices is not sustainable for this reason, because we're starting to get lower quality applicants because they can't find housing. We do have a housing shortage in Toronto specifically, and the acceleration of the rental prices can't continue. It just can't like the affordability is just it's just not there, and many people can't afford it, and so they're they're having to, you know, and, and the stock is not there for the rental property, so they really don't have a choice. They have, to, and so that's why you're getting these applications that are uh, missing pieces because you know they're trying to they're trying to get into a property that they, maybe they can't afford, but that's the only thing on the market, so they're trying, and so this is creating a bit of an issue for 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 the housing market and landlords too. They're they're, they're holding off the ones that bought twenty years ago. They're holding off the ones that bought last year. They're taking whatever they can get, um, but the ones that held, you know bought the property many years ago and they can wait on it, um, like my properties, the ones that I bought you know ten, twelve, fourteen years ago, I'm good. If I don't get the right tenant, I'm not renting it. Period. I'd rather leave it vacant and pay into it monthly until I get the right tenant. So that's my attitude. And that's my investor's attitude. But the ones that, let's say, for example, you bought last year, you know, investors now are sitting with high interest rates. There's no equity in the property. They have to rent it quickly. And so whatever garbage comes through the door, you know, garbage application, they'll they'll just take it. And they have to take it. So so anyway, it's a, it's a tough spot for for landlords. Tough spot for the renter. But I believe in 2024, it's going to plateau. Prices will not increase further. And you might, you know, you might see certain properties sitting on the market. And if you have a great application, you might be able to negotiate a little bit. I think if you have a, you know, a so-so application, the, the landlord is going to say, no, I want full price and I want 
payment upfront of six months. But if you have a great application, they may say, you know what, I'll take $200 less, but I have a great tenant. Let's do that deal. And that's what I would advise my clients. If you have a great applicant in front of you, little less price, I would take it because you know the flip side is having the headache of you know a bad tenant. So, so that's what I'll say about that. Second question is if you were advising a value shopper to buy in 2024, what would be your best advice? Great question. I would say almost all asset classes are on sale currently and can be negotiated off the list price. Prices won't be at this level probably for another decade. I would say I would call the next you know, the last two months and the next three months, probably the bottom-ish of the market. Um, it's tough to call, but I would say this, we're probably there now. Um, and we're only, you know, going to accelerate from here. Now, the acceleration could be very slow. It could be like two years before we see price appreciation. It could be six months. Um, but I think we kind of are at the bottom. All, all indicators are saying we're at the bottom. So I think that's where we are. And, you know, I think prices will appreciate from here. But, but yeah, value shoppers... I think there will be a little bit of a, I mean, there has been already a sell-off in the condo space. I think condos have been beaten up pretty badly over the last year. I think there's still a little bit more pain to come for, for the condo market, condo segment of the market, but not that much more. I think we're almost at the bottom there too. So yeah, I mean, if you're looking for an investment condo, I think, you know, you pick your spots, but you, you, there, there may be some value in that. If, if that's your price level and that's your uh, comfort level, uh, I think that that would be a great place to start. But um, if you want to go a little bit bigger, partner up with some some people um, and, and joint venture on, on on a bigger property, then uh, I'm seeing some store and apartments, which street front retail, which I love. Um, seems some some good value. Um, I've sent them to you know a couple of properties to my clients, but I see value in that segment as well. It's multi-unit, commercial, and uh, with some residential component up top. So, so you know, there could be some value in that too. I'm seeing price a little bit depressed. I've been sitting on the market a while. Um, and I think there's just some opportunity there. So third question, and this is a great question and something that doesn't get talked about enough. Question is, I'm buying my first investment property. Congratulations. This year with a partner. How do I structure the purchase? So great question. And one Again, that doesn't get talked about enough, but I would, first of all, incorporate a numbered company and you and your partners will have shares in that company. 50-50, 80-20, 75-25, whatever it is, 30-30-30 or you know, 33-33-33, a third. Um, get the number company structured. And then once it's structured, that company buys the property. So it's its own entity. It does its own taxes. It, if, if there's something that goes wrong at the property, that entity gets sued. You personally are protected. Um, your, your, your liability is shifted to the corporation and that corporation pays, sort of shelters the investors. So you are shareholders, but the entity is onto itself and that entity does its own taxes. And I have many numbered companies. I think I have, I think like eight or nine numbered companies, but they are all independent and I do taxes for all of them. And each one is, is a corporation onto itself. So you buy the property in the corporation name and, and it's a pretty simple, you could, you could do it online. You can do it. Uh, I think it costs you, the last one I did was like 
two hundred dollars or two two fifty, do a name search, or there, actually there may not even be a nuance search. You have to do it if you if you're naming the corporation, you have to do a nuance search, which is minimal. It's like sixty eighty dollars. Um, and if you leave it in a numbered company, it's a numbered company that the government issues you, but um, there's no cost to that. And the cost to incorporate is like $200 uh, or $250, I can't remember, but um, it's a nominal fee and you do incorporate. Or, or you can pay a lawyer to do it for you. A lawyer can incorporate the company for you and um, keep the minute book and, and all that. But but it's pretty straightforward. It's more complicated if you have more partners. If you know if you have to if you take a pie and you start cutting it up like eleven different ways. This guy has seven percent. This guy has five percent. This one has twenty percent. It's a little different when you're calculating um, the the draws from the corporation and the um, bill comes in. You have to split it that many ways. You know, but and cap calls again your 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 capital if you're if you're you know, let's say the roof goes and you need $20,000 and you you go out to the investors you ask them for the money everyone has to pay their proportionate share of ownership uh towards that that roof so you know uh Johnny pays 20% Sally pays 7% you know her she owns 7% so she pays in 7% so it gets a little complicated and a little complex and the accounting gets um more convoluted but um, let's say you have two partners, real simple, 50-50 each in the ownership of the company. And you know you pay all the expenses 50% each. And you the income that you uh, receive is 50%. Very simple. You take you know the all the expenses, mortgage costs, um, appreciation value. You take all all your 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 papers for the for the year, plumbing expenses, receipts, invoices. You take all that, you give it to your accountant, he does it, um, and you're and you're done. And then it becomes just like simple, real simple moving forward. So um, that's what I usually would do. Um, and and sometimes there's a managing partner, and sometimes that managing partner would take a small fee to manage the property and kind of oversees all the leasing and all that. So so he gets a paid a managing. He's like a managing partner. The other partner is more of a silent partner. And it just works. It, it's real simple. And that's how you grow your portfolio. You you kind of partner with people smart people, uh, people that you kind of align, your goals align, um, and you're on the same page with, with everything. And, and, um, as I say, um, it could be a great tool. I've, I've, what I've used to, to make, um, my deals happen. And, uh, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for that. So, so that's that. I hope I answered that question. If you have any other questions about that specifically, call me anytime or reach out, DM me through Instagram. Um, I'd be happy to help in any way I can. So as always, I want to end this podcast with a quote. And the quote is, buying real estate is not only the best way, the quickest way, the safest way, but the only way to become wealthy. And that's by Marshall Field. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Happily Ever Investor Podcast is in the books. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you found value in what we had discussed and want to dive deeper into the world of real estate investing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care, keep those investment dreams alive, and let's catch up again soon. Happy investing.